Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast podcast. This week, we're talking with Abby and Casey Sampson of Sampson Historical. We sit down and talk with them at the Connor Long Rifle Living History Trade Fair and Antique Arms Show. So you're going to hear a little bit of background noise. Uh, it's something that we couldn't totally pull out of the recording. So if there's some odd cuts here and there, just know that that's what's going on. Um, it's nothing major. It's nothing. no problem with your audio system. Samson Historical is just one part of their very multifaceted business. So we try to talk as much as we can about each section. They have their own quarterly magazine publication, Reliving History Magazine. They have an active and growing Facebook group, Samson Historical Updates and Discussion. And they also host their own Living History Trade Fair in Northern Indiana in the second weekend of June. So we touch a little bit on each of those things. Um, if you're interested in any one of the things we talk about, we're going to have links to just about everything down in the show notes. Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, I'm Casey, and we're part of Samson Family Leather. And with that, there's three different sides of our, our business. We have Samson Historical, Samson Leather, and Reliving History Magazine. Um, so each one kind of works together. It's mm-hmm. a very much a, uh, they're all part of a bigger wheel. and. Uh, so Samson Leather makes products for Samson Historical. Reliving History is sold by Samson Historical. We sell both of the products in our in our leather shop. Uh, so we kind of work all together. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is a family business. Yes. It started in 1982 with my grandfather. That's the first official business. Um, before then, in the late 70s, they were just kind of crafting around. Um, spent a lot of time at Fort Riotnon. Mm-hmm. Uh, early days of the feast and and really started to work with the leather vessels actually with the Boy Scouts uh, and they were using it as a fundraiser and uh, it came to a point where the Boy Scouts weren't interested in it as much as my father and grandfather were so he started the business and uh, but went into my dad who then in turn sold it to me in 2011 so we've taken that concept of, of the leather reproductions and increase that with a now a full-fledged store yeah uh, with a wide variety of products that's great i wanted to bring you guys on because everybody i talked to we're at the connor long rifle trade fair today and everybody's really concerned with young people in the sport and the hobby and you guys are not the same age as many of the vendors and craftspeople here so how old are you guys if, well, not to be rude. Yeah, yeah. It's actually, in two days, I'll have a birthday, but uh, 27 today. Happy birthday. So, well, thanks. I'm 26. 26. Yeah, that's great. You know, most of our friends are uh, twice our senior, so yeah, uh, which is, is really great because there's a lot of uh, mentorship there and a lot of uh, lessons that can be learned from, from people in this hobby. But one thing that we really like to stress uh, is with every hobby, it tends to be older. Yeah, um, and, and we've seen that. My, you know, in talking with so many people in this hobby, this 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 industry that we're in, uh, it, it's it's a more of a thirty-five and over game. And yeah, we have a lot of younger families, and in today's market, we also see that it's hard to get in to this hobby because of like anything and the cost. And so, one of the things that we really focus on is making affordable products available. Um, and that's one of our key notes of our company. And so we see new people entering the hobby all mm-hmm. the time. And we work with new people daily who are just starting out and really getting started. So 
Um, I think while it may not be, you're not getting, you know, early 20s entering, you're still getting new blood and new people. Right. Those people just happen to be in their later 20s, early 30s, even their early 40s. Yeah. And what I see is in the early 20s, especially, you don't have expendable income. No. no. You're just getting started in whatever you're doing. Well, and even now in your mid 20s, you're most in late 20s, people are just starting to have kids anymore. Exactly. So that demographic is changing. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's interesting too, because you know, we travel all across the country. Yeah, you guys um, are on the road a lot. A, a lot, a yeah, lot. about 30 times <laughs> a year. Um, and so one of the things that we have seen and take note of uh, is on the East Coast, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of younger people out there, um, significantly more than what we've ever seen here in the Midwest mm -hmm. in the Ohio Valley region. Um, and, and we're exploring ways to, to well, do our small part in, in changing that. And, right. and encouraging younger people and um, one of the biggest things that we've found successful is utilizing social media mm -hmm. facebook instagram uh, we haven't got into the twitter sphere yet but right. <laughs> and, uh, it's I a think, little touch and go yeah I, I think for us the facebook and instagram is the most mm -hmm. effective um in reaching that younger market and uh, you know we've also found that the culture of today is is really could benefit so Hamilton the musical oh, yeah. that we, we saw a large increase there there's a couple new TV shows that have encouraged um, even the TV series turns while we can oh, argue yeah. about the historical accuracy of it we can't argue about the benefits that it brought our hobby yeah um, similar to what the Patriot did in the early 2000s I think 2000 I think 2001 2000, yeah, yeah somewhere right in the early, early. early. yeah um, maybe even 99 I don't know it's yeah. it very early there and we saw that. I mean, people still, in fact, yes, just yesterday, we heard somebody say somebody was working with someone who worked on the film called The Patriot. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and I think that we're going to see that change. Mm -hmm. um, and what's exciting, too, with that, going with that culture, you know, we found, that, found out that Hamilton is going to be on uh, in the movie theater. They're going to make an actual film of it coming out in October of 21, which is also significant and really awesome timing because we're only five years away from the 250th yeah. of the American Revolution. And so all these things are really coming into play. It gives me goosebumps actually yeah, thinking about it because <laughs> we're in the, we are, we're right here. You know, yeah. the time is now and we're going to get more people involved um, because of all these things. And yeah. so we don't think this is a dying hobby. We think it's ever living as it has ever been. Yeah. And we're doing our part to continue that growth. Yeah. We talked to representatives from GoX, from Swiss, even modern, muzzleloader manufacturers cva traditions and they they feel the same way like it's it's very easy i think to get caught up in the on the ground this is dying everybody's getting old kids don't want to do this stuff but i feel like if you get into the kind of the nitty-gritty of it and you start talking with people and start working like you i mean you're on the road a ton and you're online a ton i mean you're seeing a huge swath of these people and i mean that's as good as yeah. it gets no, you're absolutely right and you know, it's hard too because when we're in this hobby, I mean, everybody gets becomes really good friends and they mm -hmm. become family. And you know, sadly, when when we do start to lose those dear friends, we can get a little more grim on, yeah. on the outlook of it. But I think when we when you take a step back and look at the hobby as a whole, and even look at it as the research side of it, there has never been an easier time to research something. Yeah. You know, I can find out what a, a unit's buttons were on their regimental of a specific year 
in a matter of probably seconds by going onto you know an online source validating that and you, know, you have an idea to go on yeah that's something we couldn't have done 20 years ago no yeah. and that's really helped us when we are doing our magazine now though is to have that vast amount of information available oh yeah and the connectivity so i de- i can deal with writers and the lot of writers i deal with are doing you know finishing up their masters and even their doctorates um and they don't want to do living history mm-hmm. but they really like the research and i can utilize people from you know the east coast west coast wherever that have this interest um, and, and share their knowledge because we have that level of connectivity with with the research and all the museums they can search museums across the country across the world yeah and that's i think a really neat thing that's helped us with like like i said with the magazine and sharing and watching how um that changes the conversation i think the reason we started the magazine was i got really interested in clay pipes and wrote about clay pipes and then people i didn't know started using it as a source inside of it and that really changed the conversation yeah and that was probably the coolest thing ever the magazine has been i think a wonderful addition to our hobby oh yeah um a lot of people feel that kids don't want to read kids don't want to read magazines but i mean we have muzzle blasts we talk to muzzle loader magazine and you guys as well when did reliving history start the magazine itself started well so so as we were saying it it was it was was all an article and the idea was to post maybe just one or two articles that abby was going to write Mm -hmm. on a forum uh and we we actually had thought about having it like an old uh chat forum okay uh, because you know facebook and some of these other outlets are sometimes limiting yeah. uh, uh, speech and so we thought it would be nice to have a platform that was open yeah um, and we didn't have to you know you could talk about guns without being flagged for a weapon or you could talk about these things well and in turn um it just kind of spurred this idea of what if there was a information available online and in your hands mm-hmm. about this research and um, then january of 2018 we just said I wonder if we could get writers to write for us. And so we posted a job and uh, said, these are the topics we want to talk about. You research it and you get back to us. And we got, I don't know, three or four in. And then we, you know, we had them include all the sources. Yeah. And so we validated everything that they were saying. It was like, this is really cool information. Now, one of the very first articles we did was about honey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, reliving history focuses on kind of those wide variety of topics but just short snippets enough to get you interested so if you want to learn more you can right but it brings the information to life and where that well, that was really interesting uh, i enjoyed that article and so we thought well what if there's another way that we can get this out and uh, one thing turned into another and two years ago or three years like well, i guess it was 2018 i had a print copy that we uh, i had kind of made on my own yeah. and uh sat down with Jason from Muzzle Loader and I said, tell me everything that's wrong with this. Yeah. And, and he did. And he did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. He and, does. and Jason's been a tremendous amount of help. Um, and, and he is a prime example of how businesses can work together mm-hmm. and not be seen as competition, but as doing good for the greater of the community. Oh, yeah. And so um, Muzzle Loader is a great publication. And we were not seeing those comp- competing with them, right. but as a complementary piece to that written literature. And that's exactly what we did. 
uh, and and now, you know, we're in, we're printing our third uh, third volume mm-hmm. uh, coming up, which. Uh, again, it, we, we've grown with that magazine tremendously, um, not only as a business, but the, the content in the magazine. Yeah. It used to be 80 pages. Now it's over 110. And That's wonderful. We're excited for that growth to continue. Yeah. I've always been the kind of person who likes to know things, and I like random facts. And so the magazine's been a great outlet to learn and teach just on odd things that people didn't necessarily know they wanted to know about. Right. Because I do a very similar on animalry.org, very similar process of seeing something and think, man, that's really cool. We need to we need to share this somehow. And I, just this week, I saw an original ad for leather breeches, oh, you know, from the yeah. 1700s, the 1800s yeah. on a Facebook group. Yeah. I said, man, where did this come from? You know, and it's just, OK, I'm going to put that over here and I'm going to go find out more about that. And because it's, it's the same ad I'm thinking of. Uh, what I found most interesting, and there was, there was a line in there that said that if you couldn't get a year's worth of, of wear to return them. Yeah. And, you know, if you didn't think the quality was good, return them to yeah. me. You know, and I think that really spoke highly of the craftsmanship of the time, too. Oh, yeah. And I think it, it speaks to, I mean, you see those same business practices today. Sure. You know, if you're not happy with it, we're, we're going to be, it's not, especially in this hobby, you're not dealing with a megacorp. You know, you're dealing with people that you can call up and talk to or shoot an email to. They're the people that you see week after week online. One of the things that we wanted to focus on the magazine, too, was the artisans. Yeah. Um, and, and we've introduced to the community a lot of new artisans. That's great. Uh, and artisans that have been doing this for a long time, highlighting their wares and how they do it, what they uh, bring to the hobby is, is incredible. Yeah, they make a lot of this very possible. Yeah. Yeah. The artisans that we've talked to on the show, they're getting like really deep into it, you know, and trying to understand why and how and the materials used and, you know, analyzing stitches and the stitch count and the, you know, stitches per inch, you know, and it's really neat. I, I like making parts of my own kit as well. And it's really neat to hear their processes behind it. And I think featuring them, like as we talked about a little bit before the show, it's hard for somebody to make something and promote it at the same time. Yeah. It really is. Because it's two full-time jobs. It is. And, and that's, we, we felt that even with our own leather work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I'm, when we're making that, it, it's so much easier for someone else to promote that product for me, you know, right. because I'm just either so invested or you just you don't know where to start. You know, there's so much knowledge about it that we have, you know, in that one vessel, yeah. that one piece for an artisan, that it's hard to, to get that out there. Yeah. So where in the timeline then did Samson Historical start? And what was kind of the, the pushing off point? So you, you had Samson Family Leather, where you're making yeah. the historically accurate leather goods, but now you have a whole line. So uh, in 2011, we, you know, I bought the leather business from, from Bad, and very shortly there, 13, I think it was, um, we realized that it was hard uh, because we made really quality good leather vessels and um, unlike say pottery or glass that could break uh, leather doesn't yeah <laughs> so it was really cool for the first few years and then you know uh, of course being third generation business we would still get people coming up to us and saying i got this mug still from your grandfather it's doing great which is an awesome compliment yeah uh, but in a business sense it makes it very difficult there's a reason there's a new uh, iphone every year that's right, right. And you know even, like you break your you drop your favorite pottery mug 
oh, I, I guess I have to go try to get another one. Right. It bounces if you drop your leather mug. Yeah. yeah. It, you have to you wait know, for a dog to eat it. That's right. right. You know, that leather just laughs at you. So do it again. You know, yeah. there's nothing that we can do. So we, we decided that we needed to branch out. So we started with other products and our, our leather vessels used to be lined with beeswax. Um, it was something my grandfather liked because it was only done on the higher end vessels mm -hmm. and he one of his taglines he was kind of quirky in some of the stuff he said but he said that he treated everyone as royalty okay and so everyone got the beeswax lining uh and so the reason i say that is the first product that we introduced that wasn't something that we physically made was our uh, beeswax candles because it it was a parallel it's kind know? of a nod to it yeah and we found some success on that and we said you know this is something I wanted to do this full time. You know, I was full time on ambulance and, and worked at the fire department, and, and I enjoyed that. But this is this was my calling. So to go into that, some at that point where you had purchased the business and you were looking at expanding, what did the business look like at that point? Were you, you know, in a room of your house? Yeah, actually, in an attic. Okay, in the attic, of <laughs> and my, just the two of you. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, it was very small. Um, you know, we didn't have any machineries or tools. One of our favorite memories to talk about is we would lay a leather hide on the floor and we would piece by hand, draw out every pattern of the mugs or the knife sheets, whatever we're making. We would, we would by pen, trace them yeah. all out by hand, the entire hide so we could get every square inch possible of that material. And, and we would... We went, once we would cut everything out, we would take an entire hide of leather and have a bag of scrap that could fill up a lunch bag. That was it. You know, just a little paper yeah. sack because we were so stringent on that piece. Um, and we would cut everything out by hand. And one of the first things we got was a sewing machine that really helped. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. And um, Casey's parents were have always been wonderful. I mean, they helped us carry a very large sewing machine upstairs, let us work in their attic, hammering and whatnot all hours of the day. And. Um, his brothers would help build stuff, and um, Travis, who is Casey's best friend, helped us. You know, when we started, worked for us, and so. Um, but yeah, Casey's parents have put up with a lot. I'm sure they were really glad we moved out of the attic, and there wasn't construction sounds all day. Right. <laughs> I think it was um, shortly thereafter we started with the beeswax candles that. And, and other things, Jeff White, he was a bladesmith. Yeah. Oh yeah. We were making uh, knife sheaths for him. And actually, this Connor Long Rifle has done a lot for us. This is this show is where we've met Jeff White, actually, okay, yeah. and started working with him. And uh, it's where I met Mark Thomas, who's one of our blacksmiths. And yeah. um, it's where we introduced Reliving History magazine. So this is really, it's, it's a home. You know, we're only 30 oh, minutes yeah. from home. That's what I really enjoy about this show is it's, for this area, it's kind of a go-to show. Sure. You know, and... For me personally, it's nice to get out after the winter and the holiday crunch. You kind of get out, and this is one of the first shows of the year. And you can get out and start talking to people. Yeah. And it's kind of hyper local people, but it's the people nonetheless. Oh yeah, and you know, it's this is home. Yeah. You know, so especially for us, you know, we're so close, and so it's a good advertisement for the shop. But it's it's all the people that we see in the shop that come and see us, and you know, like you said, after that holiday time, and it's good to get out and see everybody, see yeah. some friends and family, and and get out here. So, but once we uh, kind of go back, once we started with those beeswax candles, we thought this is something that we could pick up. And we met Jeff White, got the knife sheaths, and this was in early 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, he connected us with another local company in Indianapolis called Self Reliance Outfitters, who 
actually, interestingly, they, they use a lot of primitive mindset yeah. for 21st century long hunting, yeah. what they call it. Yeah. Uh, and it's uh, it's interesting, but we started making knife sheets for them. And we got to a point where we needed to expand. We need to get out of the attic. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so we got the building that we're at now. And um, from there, we just kept growing a little piece by piece. That's wonderful. And is it still just you two working? No, we have... We have there's three full-time employees, okay. uh, Abby and I, and then we have a you know, couple part-time that will come in and my parents will come in. Dad loves working the shop on the weekend. and It's hard uh, to let that go. Oh yeah. That, you know, even yeah. if you want to retire, air quotes there, you still yeah. want to be doing something. He does. He likes tinkering and something and he'll, um, I don't know. He, he'll, he'll come in and spend a Saturday you know, messing with pewter or leather or whatnot. And yeah. He likes wandering around. Yeah. So all of us are involved. Um, and now even our daughter Peyton, she's four, and uh, she's got she just everything to know about Samson Historical. She'll tell you, you know, yeah. she she is Samson Historical, uh, and little mascot. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, and she is four years old, and this maybe people cringe, but she's over there running our press, and she knows supervise. Yeah, supervise yeah. of course, <laughs> but you know she knows the steps and the safety and. Uh, making coasters so i mean mm-hmm. that was just last weekend so she's she is a, a big reason why we're doing this too yeah uh, was we want have we want her to be able to, to carry on the business like i did yeah uh, more importantly for her generation to have an outlet as well yeah and i think that speaks to the uh, the modern and historical side of things you know a business was a family business you know you grew up and you trained and you were a part of that and that hasn't changed even though we have the internet you know and amazon and shipping boxes and all this stuff you know that's still here yeah Yeah, we um, were able to move above our shops we're in an old downtown building and so we really are we like to joke that we're we're really living that original family business we live above our store we get up we walk downstairs and go to work in the morning yeah and um you know like he said Peyton will tell you like she is Samson historical and it's because we live every day every hour as Samson historical you're working and uh, and we we love it we really do it's it's challenging and exciting and there's even though we're dealing with history there's always something new oh yeah and I think that's what's really neat in the community right now is there's a lot of people re-diving into that history and rediscovering, or not rediscovering, but finding out neat little tidbits that ad- advance it a little bit more. I Actually, I think rediscovering is a perfect word because there's so many things that we have lost yeah, uh, and, and we have, we're refining. That's uh, true, yeah. So, you know, we always joke that we're, we're not learning a new skill. We're relearning that yeah and and so as a society i I think relearning is a key term we actually use that a lot in our our shop is that we 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 are relearning the old ways yeah i really like that because we see a lot on i mean we host a lot of classes and traditional craft is a big part of what we do and we're seeing that where there are people our age that grew up not having shop class not having a father or grandparent that worked in a little shop in the garage or anything and they're finding all this stuff that they can do with their hands, like you talk about, uh, cutting out leather. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't have a sewing machine. Right. And people can get their hands on something and, you know, nick their fingers and get a callus yeah. and feel that again. And, and like you said, oh, that's a, you're, you're really right. That's a perfect relearning or rediscovery of it. We just launched um, here in the last few weeks our, our leather stays. 
uh, and that's something that there's, there's out there, but there's not a company that was really making them. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we, in the last year, we've we've kind of launched a women's line of our clothing and, and accessories, and it just hit me one day like, wait a minute, we're a leather company at heart. We need stays. Why aren't we making leather stays? Right. And it was just one of those things that we hadn't considered. And um, when when we when I was making I was making them the other day, and I, I was doing it live on Facebook and showing people, you know, what I was doing. And while I was sitting there, I was thinking about it like this. This really brings me home, you know, yeah. because with the stays, you have to cut those out by hand. There's no other way to do it, you know, unless I had a machine that was just massive and the cost yeah. would be prohibitive. So. They, they have to be done by hand, which I really appreciate. Our, and I know our customers appreciate that, but everything is done by hand. Yeah. Cutting it out, trimming it out, edging it, even the channels for the boning that go in. And, and that was fun. Uh, and yeah. it really brought it back to what our company really began at, and kind of was a nod to yeah. three generations. And it's you're connected to it. You know, and you're not losing that. Like you're expanding... You know, and you guys have a, a very not a massive isn't necessarily the word, word like Amazon is massive, yeah. but in the community, I mean, you guys are out there pounding the pavement all the time, and I think people get the appearance that you're huge and you're not connected to it anymore. But there are three full-time employees. There's a couple part-time people, and you're still making stuff by hand, and it's it's all you, everybody, you know, and, and that's wonderful. Everybody at our shop does everything. Nobody yeah. is. Yeah. Everybody has to learn new skills all the time because everybody, it, it takes all of us. Um, and if you call us, the people who answer the phone are the few of us that are here every day. You get me, you get Casey, or you get you get Jackie. And yeah. You, we get people that call that hear the, you hear the same voice every time. And so that's, it's been kind of odd as we've branched out and there's people who've never met us and aren't just seeing people at shows that, that don't realize that we... Yes, we are a full-time company, but we are still a small right. family business, um, and they don't realize that we aren't big, and that's it's kind of very humbling. Yeah, very humbling. How does that? And stop me if it's too personal, but what's the work-life balance like? Because I know on my end, social media and web content and articles. I mean that's full time. You know, you get you get questions and comments. You know, at nine o'clock at night. And yeah. No, this. Uh, I guess you could call it. Uh, this is our lifestyle. I mean, we 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 live, eat, breathe this. I mean, yeah. I, but honestly, we actually do eat 18th century because our even our table at home is a, a 1780s buffet table. I mean, like we, it's the real every, deal. Everything about it is is us. Um, you know, we we're together all the time. Abby and I are, and our, our daughter Peyton, and. Um, we're in this for the long game. Yeah, and this is this is what we want, and and you know it's not just a, a business for us either. I mean, this is very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, everything we do is for the greater good of our uh, the living history community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think education is is critical, um, and everything that we do, we try to tie that back into. The history part of it. You yeah. know, why are we making this piece? Why did we just start carrying these ring bottles? You know, well, they were an original artifact that not many people see. And so, yeah. you know, that's to kind of echo what you said. Yeah, at nine o'clock at night, if, if you get a reply back from our chat window that says, 
do you have a question that's coming from abby or i you know yeah. it, um, we try to answer as quickly as we can and that's why we try to also remind people sometimes that it's it, eight o'clock on Christmas and we're not going to, yeah, we sometimes we're going to take a break. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, we were joking about vacations and you know, the last vacation we went to was Williamsburg, you know, so it wasn't even really, it was a work, yeah, it was a research trip, but it was still really fun because everything about it was us. You yeah. know, it is us. Like some people want to go to concerts and they want to go explore the cities and, and we're like show us something old show us yeah. something in a collection that's dusty and you know what is the 200. oldest thing you have I you know we, we say that a lot we go to museums and say what's the oldest thing you have here yeah um and that's pretty fun that's uh, awesome to, to see and to learn and then to share that history so when we're when we're at a historic site or at a museum we'll share that on facebook and to be able to share that with our community members to say this is look at this you know yeah. we found this interesting you may too yeah um, but yeah, this is, it is personal, uh, because it, this is our livelihood and it's our, our lives, you know, yeah. it's not just a weekend hobby for us. You, it's not a weekend hobby when you're out 30 weekends out of no. a year, like no. you're talking no. about. That's, that's crazy. That's a lot of weeks. It you is. Know? And so do you feel like you, you mentioned living, you know, above your store, but then you take the store on the road and what's that like? Cause I feel like. So a lot of people getting into it, sorry to cut you off good. there, are, you know, might do just a few every now and then. What's it like to do that many? The, so our tent was our first home together. Um, okay. Because I was still in college. I was living in Muncie and Casey's living at home. And, you know, we, I would travel and we'd meet at a lot of events. And so that was our first, our tent together was our, was our first home. And um, so I think we still it's grown significantly as we've grown and as you know we're not we're not out of a wall tent with a fly anymore yeah multiple um, tents later but yeah so many, <laughs> so many tents um but when i put on our reenactment outfits when i put on our 18th century outfits it's just another it's another day yeah it's not it, it, it's not dressing up anymore it's not changing it's just who we are and how what we do <laughs> it's another day I, I agree and but it's not to me it's not just how to word this it's not just putting on different clothes because it's our life like, yeah, it's we not feel a most comfortable yeah no yeah, it, it really isn't it's um, it, it's just us like I, I don't feel uncomfortable I don't feel uh, out of place or like I'm dressing up for a fair or a show it's um, I feel just as comfortable then as when I do when I'm wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt. You know, yeah. just actually, I think more times I feel uncomfortable in <laughs> blue jeans and t-shirt anymore. Uh, it's an oddity. I mean, there's so many. You know, figure thirty times a year, at least yeah. two days we're wearing those. So, you know, you yeah. add up the math, and, and we're that's a lot that's of a days lot we're in 18th century clothing. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of live videos in our Sam's historical updates and discussions group, and I think it's been weird for people to quite realize. Like then they'll see us on the road. That, that they're literally, we are the same people, whether we are doing our yeah. Facebook Live or whether we're on the road or wherever. It's because that's just the how it is. Same people. Yeah. And I, I think it's nice that there's that authenticity with it. You know, it's not along with the clothing, the, the people behind it aren't fake. You know, you guys aren't just hired reenactors to sit here and, and sell things and to talk to people. You know, it's it's just you. Yeah. It's, it's just us. And that's why. You know, even even down to our catalog, the, the the inside front cover is a picture of our family because it's 
it's us. Yeah. Uh, we, we tell a history of our story uh, because it's it's us. Yeah. And then on the back cover, you know, we're excited to have this new cover for this year, but it is. I can see the, the press copy here. It yeah. looks really cool. It, I'm excited. But it, it, it's my favorite. It's, it, I've got it on my Apple iWatch. <laughs> I've got it the, the, on, on my phone, but it's a picture of Peyton uh, kind of holding up a candle, which you guys will be able to see. And it's, it's just it's beautiful because yeah. not only is it my daughter so I'm a little biased but it shows that that innocence and the young yeah. of our hobby and that we still have so much that's the way I look at it yeah. I, had, I had this image in my head for months and I, I, I wanted to figure out and, you know we work with an amazing photographer and I kind of explained how I wanted this and he nailed it it's not just about Peyton I think that's what I if you don't mind I want to touch oh, no, into go, that. yeah. so this picture isn't just Peyton it also symbolizes not only our business but as a company or as a living history as a whole yeah. that we're still young we still have so much more to see and that candle she is holding is just the tip of the flame that's and awesome. we have so much more that we can learn and as a company we have so much more that we can offer the public and as a community we have so much more that we can do together to build everybody up yeah and you know the, the statement that's attached to it as well is everything about our company you know that we're so proud to work with artisans from all over the country and all over the world and bringing the finest quality from everywhere straight here to people and, and, and having it showcased in the catalog online it is so much fun to work with these artisans and and we are so proud for them yeah you know, sitting right across from me right now is this is a small selection of jewelry from a person around the Williamsburg, Virginia area. And I'm so proud to have her stuff here. You know, yeah. it's, she doesn't get to come out here. And there's a lot of places that she doesn't go that we go. And so we're sharing that piece. And uh, just those little pieces is fun Yeah, uh, to, to really highlight. So that's, I guess, the story of the back catalog is that it, there's there's so much more that can be brightened up. Yeah. And that's what we want to do. That's awesome. In our, in the first episode of the podcast, we talked with GoX Black Powder, which, you know, Black Powder is necessary for a lot of not necessarily indoor shows, but a lot of the outdoor shows. I mean, all the battles you see sure. are dependent on on Black Powder, and it was really interesting to talk to them on how they they're seeing the value in living history, you know, they may not have seen ever before, you know, because the, it's the history side of it. I mean, they're using the similar recipes that have always been used. And they're connected to it, even though they're, they're GoX black powder. And the same with Swiss and with shoots and powders, too. But they're still connected to it. And now, just like you say, you know, it's the tip of the flame. You know, there's so much more there. And you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, it's we're all, it's, we're all dressing up 200 years ago. Yeah. But there's, there's new stuff all the time. And that's what's been fun, having the articles and, and reliving history connected with Samson Historical is because sometimes we'll, we'll get this article and, or, or a, a writer will pitch an idea to us and then that leads us down another rabbit hole Yeah. and and then before we know it now it's like hey this is dual purpose we've got this great new item for Samson Historical now too that we can right. research. There's so many things that we didn't know even existed in the 18th century um, I think most of the listeners can appreciate that we see a lot of the same things out here, mm -hmm. um, even down to vendors. A lot of vendors carry similar or oh, the yeah. same item. And one of the things that we really wanted to do 
was to bring brand new stuff out here. Yeah. Stuff and, and that's never been made before or very few craftsmen have made it and we want to bring it out more right. and repopulate the community with it. Um, some of our cooking utensils are that way or our drinking vessels. Uh, there's Right now we're working on prototyping a chopper. Um, okay, yeah. There's, there's blacksmiths that make them, but you know, it's hard to find one. And, mm-hmm. and we, we're making the chopper and a bowl, a wooden bowl set. So you'll be able to truly do right. that entire thing right there. Um, there's so many new things that we've done that way. Yeah. We learned about it. It's like, well, we can make that. We can do that. You yeah. Know? And, and so it's bringing all that like, relearning, you know, yeah. back to that word again. And we don't always agree on things and that becomes a whole nother way to research so right we're both we're both very type a people and so the other day we were arguing there's a a discussion on whether something's called a candle extinguisher or a candle snuffer yeah um and he thought it was one i thought oh, it was a wick trimmer oh a my wick trimmer. oh i'm so sorry <laughs> the wick trimmer versus the candle snuffer and um so then it became a game of okay prove it yeah and so you know, we're going to our different databases and things like that and I like to joke it took an act of Congress because I found my documentation in the Library of Congress <laughs> for a pair of snuffer being being ordered, and uh, that's what we that's what they ended up being. Right. So the story only gets told because I was right, but um, <laughs> we got it on the record now. That's right. right. And uh, but we we learn from each other in that way. That's why that's why we can work all day together is because we can challenge each other. What's that like working together? Every you know your your husband and well, wife. Well, it's an act of Congress. It's all right. <laughs> you had to get the government involved. Right. So, it's it's very much a partnership. And yeah. We all it's rather cool company. I mean, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, and we have different responsibilities. But with Abby and I, we're we're leading the ship together. Mm-hmm. So there 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 are things that she specializes in uh, that she controls and does, and and I do the same on, on certain other things um, very rarely do you see me in front of the camera because I don't enjoy that yeah um, Abby has that that personality that she can be uh, she is good with interacting I like sitting behind the computer and designing those things working on that website and really controlling that part so that is one aspect that is really good um, it it's it's a really awesome dynamic though because we both have the passion for living history, history in general, specifically the 18th century, even more detailed the later part of the 18th yeah. century. So everything about it is our life. Um, it, it's sure it can be difficult at times um, because we're together only 24-7. Yeah. I mean, the only time that we're not together uh, working is if I'm working a night shift at the fire department. But other than that, I mean... Our offices are right next to each other, and who has the corner office? Well, yeah. it's an old building. It's not really a corner. Yeah, office. It's a, you gotta, yeah, it's it's. Uh, Mine's technically in a corner. Yeah, she, she's got more the corner office, I guess. But uh, no, and it's even our the employees that we have, they they know they got to ask Abby a certain question. They have to ask me, and you know, depending on what the field is, but. Working together has been challenging, but extremely rewarding mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it, with a marriage, you know, you see, you want to have that life partner. You, know, you want oh, yeah. to have someone that's there to support you and to guide you. Uh, and you also want to reciprocate that. And with this, we do that all the time. And it's, I think, 
you know, to get a little personal, it's made us both stronger together. Oh, yeah. Um, and has made both of us, our relationship, even stronger. Uh, it's because we support each other. We're there for our, each other's worst days. And we're there celebrating each other's best days. And we get to do that together every day. And that's probably... No, that is. That's the most amazing part of our business. Yeah. And then to have our daughter there with us um, just makes everything even better. Yeah. I mean, we put in our vows, I promise, to push you and challenge you. And I think that that has proved more true at times than we ever thought it would. But, <laughs> yeah. We're, I mean, we're not perfect people, and but we... You know, no matter if, if the office door slams, it, it always opens back up and we can talk about it and, you know, yeah. and, and figure out whatever whatever it is. And it works it works well to be able to compliment each other and what we do know and, and his strengths versus my strengths. It's, it's great. That's great. So when's the next issue? I was talking to Abby a little yesterday that this was layout week for Reliving History Magazine. Yes. When's the next issue coming out? So we, we launch uh, March 1st. It's the first of... So I don't know why we did this. We thought it was fun. It was a play on, on seasons. Okay. So whenever the season changed, the first of that month is when the issue comes out. So okay. it's March, June, September, and December. Okay. Uh, because we categorize the issue into seasonally. So it's summer or spring, summer, fall, and winter. So March 1st, it comes out. Um, and it's, again, a jam-packed issue with yeah. a lot of really awesome articles in there. That's great. And the new catalog, I think last year... You debuted at Kalamazoo. Is that yep. the same yes. this year? Yep. A annually, we debuted the new catalog at Kalamazoo. Uh, you know, this is kind of one of the very first events here at Connor. Um, but I, I feel like, at least personally, that Kalamazoo, that is the launch of the reenacting season. I oh mean, yeah. You are on the cusp of spring. Everybody's getting ready. I mean, you are letting you're everybody's at that start line, just ready to take off for the sprint. And that's where we do it. Um, it's been successful there, uh, launching it. You'll see the whole family there. Yeah, it takes all of us there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys set up a huge number of tables there. Yeah, we have 10 tables. So we have a whole block. Um, and uh, it's, it's it's a work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a real challenge. Yeah. To be technical, Samson Historical has nine tables, and one is for our event Colonial Market Days that we're having. In That's London. right. Let's yeah. talk about that. Yeah, I wanted to make sure we talked about that some, because we've got that on the website. And tell us a little bit about that. You know, Well, first, thanks for you know, hosting that link there on, on yeah, the website. no problem. So Colonial Market Days, um, we wanted to have a Central Indiana event. 20 years ago, 15 years ago, there was a, an event at, um, well, actually, right over here across the road, Stony Creek. There was mm -hmm. a, they had a, uh, an event there. There was also one in Thorntown uh, at Old Indiana Fun Park. Uh, they, they had a couple events there. And of course, that park's closed. And we kept hearing, because we're on the event, like I said, 30 times a year, we kept hearing we need a Central Indiana, Indianapolis area event. And we had this park in Lebanon, and we thought, this would really be a fun event one time. We've been thinking about this for probably six years now. And uh, last summer we said, we're going to do it. Let's let's do it. And and so I guess it was the summer before, it's 2018. So we met with a couple different people. We worked with Bob Off from Kokomo. Yeah. Uh, we worked with Pat Scott. And we really said we want to be successful. And one of the very few people that we did talk to uh, also included Leslie from The Feast and yeah. Kalamazoo 
talk about somebody that is a by the book person. Oh my and, gosh, and yeah. We, and we loved that and respect that. And, and so we, we sat down with all these very successful people, Heather uh, from 1812. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Pat, yeah, and, and, and said, how do we want to run a good event? Yeah. And then we got people involved that were in different time periods. So we do French Indian and Revolutionary War. And we brought in Scott Sparrow, uh, who's those forces and Malcolm Wolf, an excellent resource. Brian Hassinger uh, and his wife Maya from the Revolutionary War, NWTA. Eric Homkey's another F&I, and then does 1812 as well. Yeah. Uh, and he was local in Lebanon, so it was beneficial. And, and we just added Mel. And we, yeah, we just added Mel, uh, again, local, mm-hmm. uh, but does F&I in Rev War and does 1812 as well. So we, we wanted to encompass all these people that were local yeah. and say, we're all here. Why don't we do an event here instead of traveling? Yeah. And so we, we put together this event, and our goal is to make it a market fair. Yeah. Uh, there's there's one in Louisville, the Locust Grove Market Fair, and that's in October, later part of October. We wanted one that's in early summer where it's not super hot. Yeah. Um, but we wanted a really high-quality market fair, and, and that's what we're gearing towards. Is we want somewhere where we can go outside, showcase the education, the entertainment, and the artisans yeah. from around the Midwest and throughout the country and bring them here. Um and, you know, we joke it's a geographic oddity. You know, it's two hour, two and a half hours from Chicago, two hours from Cincinnati, two hours from Louisville. Yeah. It's really close. And uh, there's a reason why Indianapolis is called the Crossroads of America. Uh, we're right there. Yeah. There's so many ways to get there, and it's super fast. Yeah. So. And that's just on the northwest side of Indianapolis. Is correct. that correct? Northwest is right off. Uh, it's smack dab in the middle between Indianapolis and Lafayette off of 65. Okay, yeah. Very easy to get to. Um so if people have been to the feast, this is just kind of along those same lines. If you're in Lafayette and near that side of Indiana or Illinois, it's a little extra jump. Just, just, yeah, just not very far at all. Right off the interstate, um, about 35 minutes from the from the feast grounds. Okay. So. And how many artisans and craftsmen do you bring in? Last year was the first year. We had uh, 14 okay. that came in. Uh, we're, we're well over 20 now at this point. That's great. And um, we're, we're hoping to keep that number growing because, yeah. again, the goal of this is to have a market fair. And so if the more vendors that we have, the more artisans and, and stores that we can showcase, that's going to bring in the more people. Yeah, to it's going to help it grow. Yeah, true shopping experience. Yeah. And we're setting this up uh, eventually to have different roads and addresses uh, as well. So okay. basically you'll be able to just know this person's at the corner of you know, first and main, you know, or yeah. whatever the addresses may be, you know, but, um, of course, a little history bit, num- numerical addresses didn't come until the 19th century. Right. So you gotta we'll be careful with that. <laughs> but, uh, no, we, we really want it to be a shopping center Yeah. In this, during the summer. And so. it's in, it's in May, June, Maine. It's so in June. Okay. The, the plan is for it to always be the second weekend of June. Second okay. Full weekend. Okay. Good deal. So 13th and 14th of this year. Okay. Lebanon, Indiana. It's the park's called Abner Longley Park. Okay. Um, it's really, like I said, really easy to get to. It's in between two exits on 65. Yeah. And, and it's a beautiful park. Lots of room for growth. I appreciate you t- coming on and talking oh, about this stuff. Well, we really appreciate you know you inviting us, and I think what you're doing, you know, on the whole for the NMLRA is great. Um, I was so excited when when it was launched. I, I, I assume I was probably one of the t- first five maybe to submit uh, different for the events because I yeah. think bringing that connection in yeah. was 
amazing. It's not something that we've ever seen before, and it's something that I feel was needed. Yeah, and we, I work, I've known Leslie, Leslie Martin Conwell. Uh, she works with the Feast of the Hunter's Moon, Tippecanoe County Historical Association, and she runs the Kalamazoo Living History Show, just for our listeners there. But uh, I talked with her some back and forth. I've known her since I grew up. And I, I said, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this. You know, we're getting traffic of people interested. I mean, we're a national organization. And when you start to look for some of this stuff, we're one of the first things that starts to come up. But we don't really have the kind of information I wanted to see out there about it. And she said, well, you know, nobody's really doing that kind of thing yet. And I said, well, you know, we're, we host our own events, of course, but, you know, we're not biased towards it. You know, I mean, of course, you know, we want people to come to our events, but we can't host events everywhere and we can't host events for everybody and promoting that and getting people interested is what it comes down to for us. Sure. And it's really exciting to be able to do that. now. We were talking, setting up the equipment here that I can carry a little studio in my backpack. And like we were, you're talking about with the magazine, you know, the presses that you needed actual cut and paste. And it's the same with the internet. Now I don't have to buy cable airtime to get stuff nationwide. Sure. You know, I can put it online and, and share your event or somebody else's event or a military group or a craftsman and get it all out there. And, and just like you talk about with featuring your vendors and your craftsmen that supply you things. It's a really exciting time because you've not had this before in something considered very old. Sure. No, I, I agree. And, and, you know, to kind of touch on those uh, the, the different events, society today is so busy yeah and you know if there's if if somebody just knows about one or two events a year that may make it harder for them to be able to attend those events because yeah. of their own schedules but having a resource like yours that's, that's free to the public open to see all the events of there or events programs even the the vendors or artisans yeah all these different avenues that you have available in one location I think it's going to really open up doors for a lot of different people, not yeah. just the reenactors and participants, but members of the public as well. Yeah, because we were, I was talking earlier uh, with Eagle Talent, Eagle Talent Traders down on the other end there, that people don't necessarily want to take the plunge. They're so busy. They don't want to drive two hours not knowing what they're going to show up to. Right. They want to see what's there. They want to know who's going to be there and what it's like. And now you can afford to share that information. You know, you're so, everybody carries a, phone, a camera in their pocket and their phone. You know, taking pictures, sharing all this stuff. You know, even just a little bit helps make it easy, more easily accessible for people who have no idea. Exactly. Um, I see in a lot of Facebook groups people asking, you know, who do I go to? How do I get started in this? And I feel the generation before us says, you know, oh, go to your local rendezvous. You need to go to this event. You need to go to this event and see these people in person. And while I agree, you need to go and people should still support everybody they can in person because it allows all of this to happen. But I feel that we're pushing people away by telling them they have to do one thing or another. They're already online asking questions and we need to make it accessible for them. One thing I, I, I really like, uh, Townsend's, they have a, an, an amazing oh, yeah. video channel. For oh, those yeah. that have never seen it. Uh, and congratulating them again on a million subscribers. Yeah. That is an amazing accomplishment. But one of the things that they done a few years ago is they did a, a series on how to get involved. Yeah. And 
that data, that information is extremely relevant. To, oh, yeah. I, I, there's not much that's changed. And I think that is an excellent resource to start. That, that oh, series yeah. was an amazing series. It, it really opened up um, the viewers' eyes on how to get involved. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think what they've done, too, is really benefited the community with their oh, cooking yeah. and, and demonstration and showing, you know, the, the public of, of what they can how you can get involved even if it's just an 18th century recipe that yeah. still is that connection to our world yeah and it makes it in a world where you can order meal kits and order mcdonald's and have it delivered to your door anything and everything that gets people using raw ingredients and making something and being connected to the food that they're eating and to the history of everybody that came before is so cool it is and yeah what townsend's does is is awesome they've exposed history and living history and the people into it the interviews that they do with long hunters and craftspeople they're making it accessible for everybody yeah you can't really you can't look at living history without seeing them and what they've done and the support that they've given the community has been wonderful and and that's their their entire series is just yeah. a, a great we'll be sure to link to that in yeah. the show notes they, so they people should because they, they just I really can't compliment John and, and, and Ryan Kerr. There's a couple others that, you know, I haven't met personally that are involved with that team, but they really have done just an amazing job on getting out there. But no, that, that series I think really should be highlighted because okay. that is one of the things that we tell even our customers, check this out. Because yeah. if you want to really know all the different ways. Um, and, and one of the things that, that could kind of circle back to us too, what yeah, we of do um, is we don't focus on military that is something that we are starting to really see a change um, so many times reenacting 30 years ago you had to choose a unit yeah what sides you wanted to fight with yeah and there are so many organizations now and groups um, there's a group ran by uh, Brittany Frederick and uh, she's at least involved with it. I'm not sure, but yeah, there's and the Walkman, the, the, yes, Walkman family and, and they're civilians. Um, and it's a, it's a organization or a group similar to say the first mass or the 48th or, yeah. but they are civilians. And uh, I can't remember the name of that unit now that saved me, but um, I, if I say I'm going to get it wrong, so. we'll, we'll see if we can find the link. Yeah. There. But the, it's, and then Ken Orlando has another unit out of the Michigan people. Right. Uh, citizens, or, uh, citizens of the American colonies. Yeah, citizens of, of the American Michigan. colonies. And so you got Ohio and Michigan there. We're that's seeing wonderful. more of those civilian groups, and that's where we really focus on is getting reenactors into those civilian clothes, small clothes, and getting them involved there. Yeah. Because um, not everybody wants to be in the military. No. And personally, growing up as and traveling to shows as a family of craftsmen, the military stuff, while we grew up shooting competitive muzzleloading. It's the military is not, not that interesting for us. And it, while it's a necessary part of the hobby and we all love it, it's not something that everybody wants to get into. And being able to show up as a civilian and participate as just kind of a normal person, just kind of bouncing around, yeah. being a part of the scene, that's wonderful. I think you get a much more rounded dynamic at events too, and you have both. Yes. You have that military presence for people that really enjoy being in the military. And then you have that civilian presence for people who truly enjoy portraying civilians. And then everybody is happy. That means we've been talking a lot. It, it is. Does. <laughs> we'll, we'll start to... No, you're fine. We'll start to wrap it up so you guys can... Oh, can no, get we're not bothered. No, we, okay. we love talking. So, okay, no. I mean, this could be a long episode. <laughs> that's what I mean. We, like we said, like recording conversations over the phone, is it, it's fun because you get to have those conversations that you 
really want to. You want to sit down and... You get to know people better, which is yeah. nice. There's, you know, I think for our business, because we're not just representatives, you know, this right. is ours. Um, so we could, we could quite literally sit for hours. And yeah. I think this is an awesome opportunity for us because so many times people do see us as one of the bigger companies out here. And right. maybe we try not to, we, we, we try diligently not to look disconnected, but sometimes that, oh, they're just a big company. And I right. really want to explain to people that this is just us, you yeah. know, and we, we really want that to be known that we're, we're very personal. We take everything we do personally. Yeah. Um, there are many times we wear our uh, feelings on our, shirt sleeves because this is it's hard not to it, yeah it, it's here yeah you know? and i guess I, I don't really know where to go from there but this is this is this is us yeah. and so one of the we did a video not too long ago i guess about a year ago it was called our story mm -hmm. and um that was really fun to do because it was all of our family yeah uh and, and people that worked with us and we really kind of tried to connect all three of those businesses and that that was a nice opportunity to really get that out there yeah that's and our listeners have heard this before but the thing i really like about what i'm able to do now is is capture and catalog people you know we've going back through the history of all of this everybody knows somebody who was really important and really interesting and knew a lot and until now where you have the cheapness of the technology it's just kind of lost and it, it's carried on in the people that remember them but now there's a real opportunity in everything not just living history but to capture and remember people and what they knew and you know going back to our generation's grandparents you know they knew people who were in the civil war and farther back and and they've remembered all of that and now we're able to go around and interact with those people that had firsthand contact with what we think of now as just being history, but but these sure. people lived it. Yeah. You know, we talked to Mike Bellevue in an episode, who's Duelist 1954, and he talked about, which it, it was interesting to me because he said, you know, we categorize time as these hard lines. We said the people in the Old West didn't stop living or existing just because we turned into the 1900s. And he told several stories of guys who came out of the Civil War and then lived into the 1920s. And you think about that time frame of, of just technology and how much it changed, but they lived it and they were connected to it, you know, and that's not all that far away. And then, you know, it's just a couple skips and jumps back to the 18th century. And it's, it gets me, it gets oh, me going because no. it's really oh, cool. <laughs> one, of, one of the things that we, we like collecting uh, yeah. antiques, specifically 18th century. And when we get in letters or documents or, uh, you know, pieces of furniture, when yes. we can actually touch those, yeah. that, that is amazing yeah. uh, because we can really connect with history there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the show that we get to sit at our 18th century table, you know. Uh, I have a fascination with Gate Lake tables, by the way. So I have a small I love collection. colonial furniture, so oh, don't get me started. It, it is craftsmanship i just can't i can't get over that and you know we we've had a couple before we started really collecting antiques we had a couple of different tables to eat at breakfast tables or whatever and this table i mean 400 pounds and you know just this is heavy as it can be um 
But what we like to think about at night when we're having dinner and uh, maybe we're just having a small little candle at dinner and think about the amount of conversations around this table, the, t the food that's been consumed and, and the conversation that was had, those are real connections with history. Yeah. You can feel it and you can touch it. And uh, we like bringing that to life. Yeah. So even with the Sun through reproductions, there's so many of our products that we have produced or, or we produce ourselves that we have them in our own collection. So right. we can say, here is where this was from. Yeah. And, and that makes it even that more special. Definitely. We're getting dice reproduced right now, which is for Christmas, I had given Casey original um, 18th century dice that had the GR stamp on them. Oh, that's so and cool. And so I wrapped them in a tiny matchbox, actually. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, getting, being able to say, look, this, this looks just like this. Yeah. And that's, that's really It's exciting. the real deal. Yeah, most of the dice available now, and, you, and even the ones that we sell in our catalog, um, are, are actually earlier mm -hmm. than 18th century dice. So... Uh, the, the, the pips yeah. have a if it has a, kind of a bullseye look those are really not 18th century right. uh, they should be solid and so but it, finding those was, was hard so we finally found somebody that would make them for us out uh -huh. of cow bone and to do that process and so now we'll have the kind of the before and after but maybe the before and after is not the right word but you right. know, the, here's the original and the repro yeah um, and to be able to share that piece of history it's super neat. So one of the things that we're going to, I know we're going to kind of run out of time here, but oh, yeah. one of the things that we're, we're going to do this year, we've experimented for the last couple of years on our price tags. And you think, what does this have to do with this conversation? Yeah. But one of the things that we did is, is we did 12 different items. We had a picture of the original date, kind of the, the, the historical prevalence of it, and then had the description and, and of course the price on it. So people could look at this item and say, eh, is that really 18th century? And they look at this picture and say, oh wow, you know, this was here right. in this location, this is where it was found, here's some description about it. Uh, our goal is to have about 80% of our products like that. So when you come into our store on the road, it's not gonna just be about the price. You're gonna right. really be able to see the history of it. And and it also helps reenactors that maybe they're reenacting 1780. Yeah. So they don't, they can't really use something that was from 1790. Right. You know? and, and we're trying to help that close that gap yeah. of, of knowledge. And I'm so excited about that. We've been working on it for a long time. Of course, we have a large database of all of our products, but making that all into one file to, for right. price tags has taken a it's long difficult. time. It's difficult, yeah. yeah. And so. I think that's, that's a really neat idea because living history and you know going back into the the 70s and the rendezvous you know and now there's kind of a split on things because there are people that were involved early on and are portraying our seven 1970s understanding of history sure now we've we've gone through 50 years of more historic discoveries you know now we can x-ray things and we can scan things and we know not necessarily on that level of detail, but we know things were different than we knew they were before. Sure. We see that in everything, uh, clothing and, mm -hmm. and material culture. And um, you're right. Um, having, we're constantly re-educating too. Yeah. And we enjoy that. Yeah. Um, because, of, you know, the age of our customers, of course, like we talked at the very beginning of the show, it is older. And yeah. so telling somebody 
and, and it's hard because we don't want to ever offend. Right. Um, and, and so if somebody asks, we'll, we'll help bring the knowledge up. But so actually, I guess case in point is, is my father and I. You know, we, we have this discussion a lot um, because when he was super heavily involved, uh, it was in, in the 90s and, yeah. and late 80s, throughout the 90s and early 2000s, things were different. Yeah. Um, and, and we say, you know, hey, Dad, actually, you know, we found this education shows this. And, um, you know, it's, it's been some interesting conversations. Right. Um, and what's what's good, though, about it is when you get to that point where, as a whole, we can say, things have changed, and here's what we know now, and here's right. how we can show that. Yeah. Uh, and most people accept that. Yeah, and it's it's not about going around and telling people what's right and what's wrong. No. But no. it's it's just neat to be able to, like you say, with your price tags, to have that information there. Because... Um, and I guess what I was getting at there is that it's hard to tell sometimes what's accurate, you know, to history and then what's accurate to the history of living history. You know, what, yes. what has been around just because it's what we had then and that was kind of old timey and then what is, what is accurate now? Yeah. And we, we see that even with utensils. Yeah. Um, different eating utensils. Uh, it's like, it looks old, but is it really? Yeah. Um, we had we had some debate on uh, Abby and I did on on tying forks, you know, okay. because and we were we were actually in agreement with with each other, but we were talking with with customers that were oh you know, three tying forks they they only had two tines. Um, we can go into it and say there's actually so many more. They had four tines as well. Yeah, we can actually find 18th. We have 18th century forks. There were five times. Have you ever seen such a thing? I mean, so odd. Yeah. Um, you know, what was more common, two, three, or four? It depends on what material it was made out of, whether it was silver or iron. There's, a, there's an argument to be made, and it's something that I get talking about a lot, is is the stuff that survived, yes. was it common? Yes. Or did it survive because it wasn't used? Because it, there's so much. So, so I mean, we're, we're on the same breath there because, in, and in that same vein, paintings. People like to always go back to, well, look at this portrait. Okay, how much money did that person have to have to afford that portrait to be made? Yeah. The best, in my opinion, some of the best documentation that you can use that's in, in, in media form of, you know, let's say a, a painting or a drawing or, or uh, any type of those carvings. Pictorial are, media. Yeah, pictorial yeah. media. That's the word I'm looking for. Are probably the Sandby sketches. I love the Sandby sketches. Because they were done of, of people that are, or even Cries of London. Uh, so if you're not familiar with those, those were different pieces that were produced from a number of years of average citizen mm -hmm. and not the upper class right. and so, yeah you're you're absolutely right to go back to you i'm uh, sorry for taking over that's something oh, no, we, no, we, yeah. we just we live every day of you know oh well look at all these that are original yeah well was it you could argue both ways you know yeah even shoes so <laughs> so you're gonna get me on a tangent here on no. shoes so one of the, the most common even our buckle shoe is based off some of the originals that we found from Fort Ligonier that are in their collection, and they were in a trash pit. Now these fully constructed shoes in a trash pit, 
that's what we're basing evidence on. And granted, 18th century, we know they were there, and we can also find the same style that were also worn down in the trash pit. But were they in the trash because no one liked them? Because I have stock that we've like, hey, we've got to DC this. Let's blow it out or let's do this. I'll be honest, you know, buckle shoes, I hate them. Yeah. I, I can't wear them. They're so uncomfortable. I can't imagine trekking through the woods in buckle shoes. Yeah. And they're just the design of it sometimes we focus on one particular thing yeah. and then try to find evidence to support that one thing right. versus trying to find evidence in general and then building that product off of that. Yeah. So, um, and and my thing is pipes. I, well, that's what got you started. Right. Um, is play pipes. And I don't know. And kind of going back to even like we, the, is it the history of, living history is real history and the we'll have somebody come in and start loudly explaining oh they the tavern pipes are so long because they break them off so they didn't when they pass from person to person so they didn't you know share germs there wasn't a concept of germs right that was not they were communal cups that, that's not it yeah and well they clogged no there's these really cool things and that's been something we've been able to educate people on on how pipes and taverns were cleaned yeah. regularly to keep them from clogging because um, they're expensive yeah no, you find stem fragments because when you drop one, it breaks into 18 different, very even pieces. Um, but Casey will be like, like, just when they come up here, you can talk to them about it. Like, my chest hurts. I, <laughs> I can't. I can't wait. That's that's kind of. I, we all have our personal pet peeves, but you know, there's. But being able to say, you know, no, think about it. Think about the timeline of history. Yeah. You know, pasteurization came significantly after that because they didn't have a concept of germs, and people. It really gets people thinking. Oh. Yeah. I kind of take this step back. And with that as well, fire buckets. Um, there was this long, we, we, we would call them reenactorisms. Um, okay. Reenactorism or, or, or history myth that fire buckets were required to be in a house, which is true. Yeah. Uh, we, we can have documentation for different time periods during the 18th and early 19th century that a house was required to have so many per floor. Where it becomes mythical is when they say that it had to be filled with sand. There's no cause of evidence that says that they had to be filled with sand. And so we spent some a lot of time just trying to figure out where are these people coming up with? You have to have sand in a fire bucket. So we talked with a friend of ours who we retired from Williamsburg, uh, Rod's his name. And we said, we just cannot figure this out. What is this? And he said, I know exactly where it came from. He said, because we dispelled this at Williamsburg. In the early days of Williamsburg, you know, we're talking what the 60s and 70s. Yeah. What was really prevalent that everybody did is seemed bad now, smoking. Right. They were, they were butt buckets. That's what they were. So there was something that Williamsburg could put out. That was accurate. That looked accurate, filled with sand, but they weren't bringing these cigarette butts into the houses. So it was, it was outside. And then he said, no, that's his best guess. You know, but that's one of our favorite stories to tell about the leather side of it is there's no real prevalence to say that they were ever filled with sand. And it doesn't make sense because sand doesn't extinguish a fire. Yeah, so, you'd have to hope that it couldn't get oxygen through the sand. Yeah. But, yeah. So, but we what find What do you do when you got to the Midwest? Super sandy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's... <laughs> it, exactly. Like, yeah. I'm not going to... If I'm carrying stuff on my back or on my horse, am I going to 
fill a bucket with sand right. or am I going to put something meaningful in it? You know, we find those a lot. Um, you know, going back to clothing, even it, we, the length of the collars of the, of the cuffs. I'm sorry, the, the, the width. Of That's the a big one. It is so big. And we changed our pattern a couple of times to try to go with the mainstream of, of, of what's being prevalent. But then the more we find, it's like, wait a minute, this shirt is the same material. We know that it wasn't changed later. And it's wider cuff. And so there's... Well, even linen versus linen, cotton versus the cotton. Sure. I found, I, I, I previously, but I've kind of revisited it, um, got this was a linen cotton shirt in the Met that I was used actually for a, a button article we're putting out. And I and it is specifically a linen cotton blend shirt. And people get very, I think, hung up on only this, only this, only this. But like you said, what's why are only linen shirts surviving? Yeah. Yeah. They were they were everywhere. Yeah. And that's more of one that's you know it, it was a common item versus a special item. I mean, you had however many linen shirts. Because they they wore they wear things out. Like um, talking with Leslie about Fort Wyantanon, and or no not not Fort Wyantanon. Excuse me, the Tippecanoe Battlefield. Oh sure. And the the parts and pieces they found there from the camp and. She t- tells a story of at the um, the end of a lock plate on a flintlock, you know, there's a hole for a bolt. And they found evidence that there was a broken lock and they had hot cut that piece off so they could keep that hole so they didn't have to punch another hole. You know, it, repairing a lock, you know, it becomes very complicated, but using that scrap, I mean, they had to use everything. It wasn't just, you know, order some more material and it'll be here tomorrow. Right. Yeah. One thing we talk to people a lot about is the fit of their clothes. Um, and, and yes, if you look at portraiture, things like that, everything's very fitted. Everything yeah. looks great and people look sharp. But the, People look stronger and taller. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thinner. Um, no, but pawn, when you go to items that were pawned, the number one item would be clothing. So if you're going to the pawn shop to pick up your new clothes, are you taking it to the tailor to get them fitted? No. you're patching them yourself yeah. and you're making do street sellers selling clothes and shoes and every not every woman but many women even in um in, in like the sambies and in the chrysalin when you're looking at at poor street women selling and, and peddlers they're wearing a flat men's shoe or a mule so you have the nicer you know fashion plates of the idealized street right. peddler wearing the fancy the fancy shoes um but more often than not you have that practical aspect where this lady is selling, you know, fruit in the middle of the street out of a basket from her back, wearing a bed gown and men's shoes. Yeah, the the Jarbos do an excellent representation. They're oh amazing. yes, um, and and they're at our event at Colonial Market Days in Lebanon, and and they're really really good friends of ours. But their presentation of of how lo- lower or the lowest class how they dress and how they interact and it is perfect because you know and and we we know this is a hobby you know but we see so many that are the finest dressed at these events and it's like or camp followers that are dressed to perfection yeah and it's like what history are we representing yeah are we representing living history or are we representing true history yeah and you know but that's a that's what makes everything great is because we can have really progressive reenactors where, I mean, we've, we've been to events where they're using true linen tents and wooden pegs yeah. for their tent. No, no iron tent stakes, yeah. no 
Sunforger canvas. True, and they made everything from literally their socks up. But then you have reenactors that do this two or three times a year, and they are okay with having the representation of the image. Yeah, and and that's what we try to help with as a company as well. Is we we yeah. try to get them to wear the best appropriate clothing for their stature right. or, or dress appropriately. Um, but you know, sometimes uh, we want to make people comfortable in this hobby. Yeah. So if you say well, what you're wearing isn't right. You need to be changing this or you should be doing that. There's an argument to say that we should be representing history better, but I think there's a more important argument to say that doing that is going to discourage them from coming back. So I would rather make somebody happy and let them grow on our own. If you look at our images of ourselves in 2013 when Abby really and I started together, Please don't. <laughs> versus now, you're going to see a completely different thing. Oh, yeah. And in that short time, to be honest, there wasn't that much history that has been rediscovered. Right. Um, but it, it was our own personal growth. Yeah. You know, we wanted to look better, more representative of, of our personas or yeah. our representation out in public. I just heard a conversation yesterday about um, somebody asking, you know, I'm a lawyer today. And I'm getting too old to portray a long hunter. So you're not going to have 80-year-old long hunters. I said, what do I need to do to portray an attorney then? And I thought that was a great idea of, you know, if you're into this and you're interested, you know, think about what you do now and take it back in time. You know, maybe you don't love your job and you, you need an escape and you need to be somebody else. You know, not knocking that at all. But I think that's a neat way to look at things. We joke because we, we say, well, we are doing what we do. Right. Yeah, we are merchants. You yeah. Know? So, but at the same token, we actually took that to heart because would a merchant be looking lower class or right. merchants going to have a little bit extra money? They're not going to have the elite money because they're working. Right. But they're going to have something that's upper middle class or middle class um, and they're going to be dressing the part. Yeah. There's a wonderful, wonderful painting, and I cannot think of the name of it right now. Um, but I have it saved on, on my computer because I really think about it, especially when the season gets started. Um, and when you know when I'm getting new clothes, things like that. And it's a husband and wife in front of one of their ships. They're merchants. They and it has a history of them. And you know they're a larger city merchant. They're bringing in things from the docks, things like that. And so. Um, really thinking about that you, know, you have you're gonna have the country merchant that's gonna have a lot you know that middle yeah. middle class but you, you what what did what did this couple these two people in this portrait what would they wear what was their life like because I imagine in my you know kind of fantasy that we are if you drew the line that we would be closer to that yeah and so um, really taking that and keeping keeping them in mind when we're figuring out how we are portraying ourselves. Yeah. As well. But we're also learning, I mean, we're constantly learning. We're, we're trying to change what we can do to make things better and make our products better. And, uh, we, we like to think of our, like our group, historical, or Saves and Historical Updates and Discussions. On Facebook. On Facebook. Um, we, we, we like to think of that um, as like a second arm of our company because, well, for instance, um, our frock coats. The colors, the green and gray, were chose by, chosen from the group. We made a poll and said, what colors do you want? You know, and, and that's a small example, but we want our customers, our people, the people in this hobby, whether they buy from us or not, we want their opinions. Yeah. And we base 
so many of our business decisions on that uh, because we want people to be involved. And um, I just think that having that communication together to say, I don't think this looks right. Maybe you should change this or change that. You know, that is beneficial because we yeah. don't know everything. You know, we, we learned, we have learned a lot in the last, you know, few years we've been doing this, but when we can, as a community, work with each other to help develop that, tweak that, improve those patterns or improve yeah. this work, that helps everybody. Yeah. And the group's really fun to do live videos with because um, even though there's several thousand people, it feels a lot less formal. Yeah. Um, so you get the chance to like, and to see people and talk to people and you know, we can do a live video and people can ask their questions and we can answer them and talk about them and, and show new products. But also at the same time, my cat jumps through the window of my office right. in the middle of it. And so, um, but it's a lot less formal and you get to actually feel like, I feel like I get to talk to people yeah. and, um, versus kind of being on our, you know, strictly on our, our same historical Facebook page being, you know, that buttoned up. If my yes. cat jumped through the window, I would be taking the video down. Like, yeah. It would be horrible. Right. Um, but we, we get new people in that group all the time, and I think it's really cool to be able to talk to them more on, on a one-on-one -on -one basis and get input. And it's a very um, comfortable space for people to talk and share opinions. Well, I think we're kind of, we've covered a lot. Covered I don't know if lot. there's anything else that you guys want to talk about. Did, we, did I cover everything that you wanted to talk about? I think it's great. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I guess, and I don't know if I want to, include this or not yeah. so you, let, no, let's talk about it for a second so we we do we work with about 20 different domestic suppliers we have some suppliers that are international and we are all about usa mm -hmm. manufacturing and supporting but i think that there's there's something important to work with outside you know uh, there's can you hear me like catalog there? so one of the things that we we kind of experiment. We experimented with was this kind of the statement down here that, you know, throughout the development of our catalog, we find some items that are not natively produced in our region. In this case, we find it better to go to the source to get the highest quality product available. During the 18th century, silk, pipes, block prints, glass, treenware, fabric, coffee, tea, and so many others were being imported. Yeah. Uh, the United States was founded on and continues to thrive in a global economy. The country which you live does not make you less of a person. And the country of origin does not necessarily reflect quality. And that's something that we want to focus on too throughout the next growth of our company. We're supporting a lot of artisans. Yeah. But we have found there are almost verge of racism oh yeah some things and that's very frustrating yeah um, because you know if you're looking at something you can say this is a great quality but then you look at the tag and all of a sudden it's not i think you need to look into yourself a little bit on yeah it. and i agree with that like i you guys know i like to make stuff sure and i work with my dad and i like to make stuff and for me like that's really important you know, in making that stuff. Like, I'm going to look back in 50 years and remember this time in my life working with him. It's going to be incredible. And for me, when I look at something like that, you know, especially personally, it's the quality. Because I, I, I know what I'm looking for. And I know what I'm looking at. But you're exactly right. Like, it's 
really troubling. And it, when you look at like I can say my pipes are made in Germany, and people go, "Oh, cool!" Yeah, people just think like they oh, were in the 18th century or Irish linen. Yeah, people are like, "Oh, people just swoon over Irish linen." But then I say, these scissors are made in China, and all of a sudden they're bad. They were yeah. also made in China in the 18th century for a Western market, yeah. but. India block prints. We we love India block prints. Where are they made? But you get India. anything else made in India, yeah. and it's and they people you know it's crap. And it's why our spring pole lathe demonstration. That same lathe is still used today, everywhere that doesn't have electricity. Sure. All over the world. I mean, you yeah. can find a video posted last week in Southeast Asia, where guys using a bow lathe, the precursor to the spring pole lathe. Yep. Our shoes are made by hand, and you, we have videos and pictures, and it's kind of a culture shock to think about where the guy is sitting on the floor and bracing things with his knees and sewing. Yeah. But if you look at pictures of paintings of period tailors, they're sitting on the table yeah. because yeah. it's a Black comfortable position. The same way. Yeah. We ask, why don't you have chairs? Like, what? why and Why would I? It's it not, hurts your back. Yeah. And he's yeah. right, you know. We so had a, so many more traditional methods of artisanship. In college, we had a, a girl from, from mainland China. And the, there's a challenge, you know, in animation where you try to make a short film in 48 hours. And we would do it in our apartment and make a short film. And she sat almost the entire weekend, crouched on her feet, drawing on her lap. And we looked and we said, Koi, you know, how do you do that? It's just... And, you know, and biologically, there's a, a different in the t difference in the tendons in that joint, and it's super cool. Like it is, <laughs> it's well, fascinating. And I think that we use our Western eyes to look at the rest of the world. Oh yeah, and that's not fair because oh. their culture, and I, I say there is a very generic term of anybody that's not in the United States. Yeah, their culture is different than ours. Yeah. So who are we to judge? Um, so an interesting fact, and it's a true fact. I should hope so. It is. That the Pakistan, one of their highest exports, includes surgical steel. So there is a very, very, very extremely high, almost guaranteed chance that that scalpel that opens you up for open heart surgery came from a country that sadly a large number of people view as bad quality yeah. just because of the name of the country. We've gotten to work with some, some of these people that we work with overseas directly and, and, and speak to them one-on-one -on -one and meet them. And there's some of the most humble and, and, and truly extremely talented craftsmen that we find here. Yeah. And it's the same thing. We're it all is. making things. And for the same reason why the internet has changed craftsmen here. It changes it for everybody. Yes. And there are... And there are family businesses. They are, yeah. Um, you know, this one, of the, one of the factories we get a product from has been in the company for five generations. Five generations. And this building is hundreds of years old and it's been in the same location. That is, I mean... It's almost impossible for us to fathom as such a young country. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We don't have anything that old. No. No. And old over there, they laugh at what's old to us here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're like, oh, this, this, you know, this is from 800. No, 1800? No, 800. 800, 800. yeah. Like, it's, you know, well over a thousand years old. And it's, it's, it's unimaginable to think about here. Yeah. So, you know, with that statement, though, we're, we're really trying to say that 
we, we think there's quality everywhere. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to work to find that quality. And I think that's what we do. Yeah. And, and, and we're working, this isn't just a click and ship company. Right. We're working directly with those artisans. We're in those, the, the factories and we're in those shops. We're in the artisans workshops across the country and across the world. And that is something that we're really proud of is because we believe that we have the highest quality product available to us. Yeah. And we wouldn't sell it if it wasn't. Right. That's so. great. We really hope people take pause and kind of think about think about that. There there's quality everywhere. Yeah. And any person in any any nationality in any country, you're going to you're going to do the least amount of work you can get away with. So if somebody's gonna buy something from you know, from even an American artisan, super cheap, and they're like, "Yeah, that's acceptable." Yeah, and that's acceptable. That's you're setting the standard. Yeah, we we demand the highest quality. Yeah, and if it's not, then we reject it. And yeah. say, we're not taking this from anybody. Yeah, go down to our potters. That you know, we could say, you know, this is not good. You know, or or a blacksmith that said, you know, yeah, this forge well looks like you did it on tig welder. You know? Yeah, you know it. I may not use the right terminology there, but right. you know, I'm just trying to. There's there's lots of things that yeah. you just if you demand the highest quality, you will sell the highest quality. Yeah. Um, but we're very passionate about that. That's something that since we started working with with vendors and artisans from across the world that we've experienced as a business that uh, we thought should be brought to at least a gentle conversation. Right. Um, oh yeah. That. The, one of the best lines in that in that statement that Abby wrote was that the the country of origin doesn't reflect quality. Right. Where you're where you're born. You know, her favorite line is where where you're born doesn't. Uh, well, she can say it, but you know, where you're born doesn't affect your ability to run a sewing machine. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But anyhow, I, I, that, that's something we're passionate about. But you know this argument of importing versus not importing has happened from the beginning of our country. Oh yeah, and it's historic as the items itself. It is. It truly is. You have you know magaz or not magazines, but uh, newspaper articles and ads saying these are newly in, new, fresh off the boat. Yeah. And then you have other articles saying we're boycotting this business because they're importing this. And it is a constant battle back and, and forth. And, and it, how everybody feels about it is different. Like, sure. Myself personally, you know. We purchase locally grown meat. We have our own garden. That we could, we could come to very much agreement on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because and you don't know how long that's been sitting in a right. sea container, right? You know, and there's there's so many things, and, and everybody's different. You know, we, my family has a ton of woods. You know, as as we talk about a lot, and so that's very personal to us. The wood, but we have wood, and some of the wood that goes into the house and the construction is off of that <laughs> woods, but it all can't be. We can't afford it. You know, we sure. can't afford the time. You know? Where we live in a downtown building, my garden is potted on my, on my, you know, pat on my deck. Yeah. I can't. I well, I don't have a yard. So leather is probably one of the most common uh, materials across all areas of reenacting. Yeah. Because think of it, 19th century enacting, even 20th. I mean, you have leather belts, leather frogs, leather shoes. I mean, there's so many and. and different facets from my point is so little leather is actually here from here you know we sell our head of cattle we, we, we take those hides we salt them we ship them overseas to be to be tanned some of that's our own country's fault yeah some of it is 
the technology, but they're better at it. Yeah. I mean, we talk about Irish linen or we talk about, um, you know, German pipes, Moroccan leather. You can't get that in the United yeah, States. You can't you have can't. Yeah. You, you, but it's the, you know, or Cordovian leather. Yeah. You know, again, different Sorry. areas, you know, and, and so I think there's something to be said about where you get things. Um, right. And unfortunately, I think, and, and we're not changing the world. We're not setting the world on fire. But we want to explain our position, I guess. Right. Because we've had some people question that. Yeah. And, and it's not about trying to get things cheaper or taking artisans out of the picture. You're it's not operating. It's a balance of both. Yeah. It's a balance of both. We, all of our pottery is made here because we there are amazing potters. Every piece of it. There's not one piece of our pottery that's made overseas. And our, you know, our hat boxes are made here because she's an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Our iron is... All of our iron. All of our yeah. iron. Every bit of it. Um, and so, but all of my pipes are made in Germany. Yeah. Why? Because he's been doing it for five generations. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, this it's is a the, balance. This is the same pipe maker that we were able to add to our, our catalog. We have very few left that had original 1796 pipes Yeah. for sale. You know, because why? Because it's Found them. <laughs> however many great grandfather had made them in the back of their factory. And we tell people like, oh yeah, it was in the back of their building from, nope. They were actually making pipes in 1796. Like, yeah, it's the real it's deal. It's the same factory. It's yeah. the same. So their storage room was is a few hundred years old. It's right. very plausible. Yeah. It's realistic that that happened. And so, uh, you know, that's a whole other probably podcast that we could do. Oh yeah, it, it really is. And and we can appreciate all sides, um, but there's, you know, we just we we really are trying to also stay true to our mission mm-hmm. uh, which is to bring new people in the hobby and if I can no one likes making breaches and if you are out here listening and you like making breaches give us a call yeah. because we'll talk it is very difficult to have somebody make breaches for us so that's one of the things that we we outsourced um, and and you know they could make us breaches this factory that we work with directly quickly yeah um, one of the things that we are as a business is in stock ready to ship so if you can buy it on our website it is in stock okay. that is something that's really not heard of in the 18th century clothing reproduction clothing world um, and we carry 14 different sizes of breeches that's a lot of sizes yeah so when i have a if i were to and we did we, we went to seamstresses and tailors and said i want these i want but i want a hundred of them i want a hundred pairs of these different sizes and they're like, no, don't have the time. I can't do it. Yeah. There's so many people that know how to sew and yeah. just don't want to make breaches. Yeah, yeah, because breaches are just a pain. Ask anyone. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, I will make a women's, you know, anything, anything, generally anything, a, a men's pair of breeches. And a lot of times it comes down to capacity. Right. Yeah. You know, you can only do so much. But then, you know, to, to circle back in the clothing, all of our women's clothes is made here domestically by seamstresses because they enjoy it. Yeah. They can get it done quick and it's easier. Um, you know, the, the 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 caps are made, you know, by artisans that we help work with, Penny River. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she, she makes Penny River and Willoughby and Rose. Uh, both make our caps, our, our market bonnets, made from two different vendors. Uh, the linen's made from 
from Virginia down in, uh, in Virginia's forecloth and textiles, and we've got a silk market bonnet that's made from 96 fabric. So we, we try to do as much as we can. Yeah. But sometimes we have to make the best economic decision to help our customers and give them the good quality product, right. which we think we've done a good mix of both. I think that's, that's interesting because that's kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to a vendor of your size. You know, it's it's hard to do all of this. You know, you're not a CLA artisan. Sure. No. And and that's just how it is. Yeah. You know? And but like you say, it's been here since his. You know, since the beginning. Since we had boats and horses and carts, things have been moving around. Yeah. I mean, things were being produced in China for a for a Western market. You can search through Met collections for just about any item. Yeah. Clothing included. Produced. Uh, produced China for American market for English market. Well, we love silk. Mm -hmm. Silk's not made here in the U.S. Right. You can't. You know. They try. <laughs> that drives me nuts when it comes to trees. Is we tried to we brought mulberry here. Yeah. To try to compete with China on silk, and now we all have mulberry trees. So look how that worked out. <laughs> Your it's car just, says thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my garden says you know middle finger. Yeah, that's right. You know, I there's, love mulberries though. I do. They're fun, and I like carving stuff out of them but it grow too fast well we thank you guys for coming on uh, thanks for having us we really we'll, enjoyed it we'll put as many links as we can i, mean, I know is, we talked about so much yeah so. we'll put as many links as we can in the show notes for anybody interested but where can people find you guys that are just listening well so in the biggest business samson historical it's, just, it's really easy samson historical.com we you know we also have a, a mail order catalog if you want to request one uh, you can give us a call to 765-481-2662 that's a really popular number to call. Uh, we get a lot, that's probably the most answer phone we've had. Yes. Uh, but then Reliving History, uh, the magazine. So that's just a side note that that is online available as a digital format. So you don't have to have the print copy, um, but that's relivinghistory.us. And uh, then Samson Leather, uh, that's actually just on Etsy and we do modern products. So belts and wallets and keychains different things and and we're only on etsy there which yeah, is and our brick and mortar store as well uh, right. correct yeah but our, our storefront uh which is on uh, downtown lebanon indiana on the, on the downtown square and we're open monday through friday um topics and discussions we have a, a facebook group called samson historical updates and discussions it's a very popular group uh very active mm -hmm. and uh we approve everybody that wants to join so uh come in and, and, and join the discussions sit back and watch uh, we do videos. We, our customers are highly involved in our business. Uh, they make truly a lot of our business decisions or help influence us. Um, we depend on those. So that's a that's a big, best group to get part of. And anytime you type out Samson from one of the websites, it's S A M S O N, no P. That's true. That happens no, a lot. No P. <laughs> but it will forward, I think. I think it does. So. Oh, nice. Yeah, we, we bought two domains. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, but thank you very much again for having yes, us on. Yes, thank you. We'd once again like to thank the guys over at the Primitive Pursuit podcast. If you haven't been following them, we've been shouting them out for a few weeks now, but their episodes just keep getting better and better. They keep finding these great characters. I don't know where they find them, but they just keep finding these neat guys to interview and talk about everything from period archery to traditional muzzleloading. They've got some neat stuff going. So if you like the primitive or traditional parts of muzzleloading or archery, You've got to check these guys out. The podcast, again, is Primitive Pursuit. You can follow them on Instagram and Facebook, Primitive Pursuit.
The Muzzle Blast Podcast is the official podcast of the National Muzzle Loading Rifle Association. The Muzzle Blast Podcast is the sister publication to the Muzzle Blast Magazine. We've been publishing the Muzzle Blast Magazine here at the NMLRA since 1933. It's the official membership magazine of the National Muzzle Loading Rifle Association. So if you like what we're doing here or want to hear more or read more, we have a huge back catalog of magazines that you can access as a member digitally. And we come out with a new magazine each month. So you can get it digitally emailed to you or mailed right to your door. It's packed with tons of original articles from you know, muzzleloader building, competition muzzleloader shooting, muzzleloader hunting, and traditional craft stuff. It's it's jam-packed every month. The team at Muzzle Blast work really hard to make a great magazine, and they just they just keep making it better. If you'd like to support the show or like what you're hearing, go to nmlra.org, and you can join the NMLRA. We've got a quick form in the store, and um, you'll save 10% off your membership or merchandise if you use the code PODCAST10. That lets us know you came from the show, and uh, it's just a little thank you for listening. And then next month, we'll be heading up to the Kalamazoo Living History Show. And by that time, it's pretty much spring, and events around here start kicking up. So we'll be getting on the road some more and um, and just bringing you a lot more from the muzzleloading and living history world. So thank you so much for listening, and have a great day.